you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We, uh, as Thomas mentioned in that video, we are starting a brand new series called Summer on the Mount, in which the next several weeks, throughout the summer, the next eight or nine weeks or so, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount a little bit more in depth um, and unpacking this really weighty, beautiful teaching from Jesus. And, you know, uh, today um, isn't just the start of the new series. Today is actually uh, Steph and my 17th anniversary. Um, and so, I don't know. Yes. Thank you for clapping. I think you're mostly clapping for Steph putting up with me for that long. So I appreciate that, um, celebrating her. So, uh, so here are a couple pictures uh, from what was one of the greatest days ever in my life. And so um, this is um, us right here uh, to go to our wedding photo. This is um, our rings afterwards. Uh, this is uh, like an Eskimo kiss, but you know, just, it's just being able to have that. And there's so many other pictures. What I love about this photo though, um, and there's a couple others I didn't put on here just because otherwise I'd just be talking about my wife for 38 minutes and 52 seconds, but uh, was the idea that like Steph hasn't aged at all. And like for me, uh, as my girls and I've lovingly shared with all of you, my girls love to point out the amount of gray hairs on my profile. So this already looks very different than how it did 17 years ago. And so we're celebrating that, and, and it's just a beautiful time because it's a moment to be able to, to celebrate what God has done, to celebrate how he's worked in our lives, but also to look forward and to know, not know what's coming, but being able to know with whom we are sharing what is coming. And so just being able to navigate some of those things, but just recognize for us, outside of me giving my life to the Lord at September 20th, 2003, our wedding day, which is June 25th, 2006, and then the birth dates of our children, November 27th, 2011, and August 6th, 2015. I mean, these are just the greatest days ever in my life. And so being able to celebrate that this morning um, and celebrating that this, uh, today is just, is just an exciting thing. And so I talk about that because it's, it's, one of the, it's the greatest, and I love it. And so today, as we enter into the Sermon on the Mount, um, our sermon title is actually not what's in your notes. I put in there uh, called Upside Down Kingdom. We might have a sermon called that uh, moving forward. But what I'm calling the sermon today is the greatest sermon ever. And for the record, I'm not referring to my own. And so I'm not putting that, that weight on this sermon, but it's unpacking and looking at the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. Um, so as we get ready to see what God has for us, whether this is your very first time with us, maybe you've been with us for years, maybe you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you're someone who doesn't even know if they're on that journey yet, but you're here and we want to honor you and we're grateful that you're here. This is a great series and this is a great sermon to start off wherever you are in your faith journey. Because as we're going to see, the Sermon on the Mount has the power to change our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is something that... Um, was first shared to disciples, but overheard by the crowd. In other words, it's something that is for those who follow Jesus, but it's something that can attract and draw close and intrigue people who don't follow Jesus yet. And it's something that I think God has each and every one of you here and those of you joining us, everyone who hears my voice is here for a reason, 
And God has something to say to each and every one of us today. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. Lord, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone who is loved by you, created by you, shaped by you. I love that each person who hears my voice, Jesus, is someone you died for, and that you extend a relationship with God the Father through you. And God, we thank you so much for that. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone that, again, you want to draw closer to the Lord, that you want to um, help become more like Christ, and that you want to dwell inside our hearts so that we can live the lives you've called us to. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... We're starting off the Summer on the Mount, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're going to look at the sermon as a whole, make some observations about the sermon, but we're going to dive more in depth over the next several weeks, so we've got some time to let this passage breathe a little bit in our lives. If you have the Bible app, we started a, um, a Bible plan for the Sermon on the Mount, and it's for the next 50 days or so. And so if you didn't get that and you would like to, please let us know, and that way we could send you that link. But we're reading through together and having a time just to be able to very slowly navigate what the Scripture says and to process that together. But um, this is a picture from where uh, the site, for where the Sermon on the Mount is believed to have been, which looks beautiful. Um, this is something where... Uh, we had some um, people from our church members went to uh, the Holy Land uh, a few months ago. And so every time I'm preaching on an area in the Gospels and I'll say, oh, here's just one point. Uh, they'll say, you should have asked us first because we have pictures of that place. And so I decided to ask first this time. And so this is one of the places that they took a photo of that they believe the Sermon on the Mount took place. Now, if we go back into the context in Matthew chapter 4, um, we're not going to read it, but just so the context you're aware of, in Matthew chapter 4, there's the temptation of Jesus. And then he calls his disciples, and then he starts healing and working amazing ways and preaching to the crowds. And he talks about how repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And this kingdom concept is something that's going to be prevalent throughout, yes, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout Jesus's ministry as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. But this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is something that we're going to take some time to look at over the next few weeks. But as it starts in Mark, excuse me, Matthew 5 verse 1, it says that now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so it's important for us to remember this, that the Sermon on the Mount was spoken to the disciples and overheard by the crowd. He looks and he sees the crowd. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so as we read the Sermon on the Mount, it's something where for those of us who know and love Jesus, who follow him, these words are for us. They're to challenge us, to encourage us, to call us up to living the kind of disciple or as the disciples he's called us to be. They're not comfortable words. They're not easy words. They are words that can cut and divide between um, bone and marrow because God's word is living and active. And the same words that he spoke on a mountaintop like we saw recently or in that photo are the same words that impact us here today. And so but the, the, what I want to emphasize is, again, it's to the disciples. So if those of you who, who don't follow Jesus yet or you don't know where you are on that journey, we're so glad that you're here to be able to overhear the beautiful 
teaching of Jesus, the greatest sermon ever that he proclaimed that is only about 12 or so minutes long, but is packed with wisdom and insight and beauty and power. But before we jump into the sermon itself, uh, I have a Steph and I went on a date a few months ago to go see Avatar, The Way of Water. I'll tie it in, I promise. So um, has anyone, did anyone ever see this? It's okay if you haven't. A few, okay, great, great. So if you've seen it before, uh, you know that it is approximately uh, the li- it's as long as like a butterfly's lifespan. Like it's a very long, it's like three hours and 12 minutes or something like that. And I went into it and um, I remember seeing afterwards that there were articles that were written before the movie came out that said, this movie is so long, some of you may want to know when the best time is to use, to, to go on a potty break. And like, they literally broke it down. So they said this way, if you care, if you don't want to miss the action sequences, if that's what's most important, then said, hey, here are three different times when no action is going to take place for the next few minutes. Then it says, actually, you know what, if you just want to see the nature, because if you haven't seen it, even if you don't care about like the Navi, like blue people, like the scenery is beautiful. And so if people are like, I'm just here to see the nature, like it feels like I'm doing National Geographic on this island, or this um, uh, planet of Pandora. If that's you, it'll say, here are the three action sequences that don't matter at all to you. Then it says, if you just don't know why you're watching it, like this was one of the options, if you don't know why you're watching it, here's some, just miss the whole beginning, it doesn't matter, and then miss this other. So it's basically looking at this whole concept of this movie that was designed from beginning to end. And, but they're saying, you might, some of us might come into it and be like, well, I don't really care about the action. I want to see the nature. Or I don't really care about nature. I want to see action. And what happens is, is that even this website was saying, here's how you can pick and choose the parts of this movie that you want to enjoy most. And it's up to you to decide if you want to, which way you want to experience it. And I think this idea of, of um, the Sermon on the Mount it's something where we have, if I say Matthew 5 through 7, some of you already think of, oh man, I love that part when it talks about how God will provide for all of our needs. I, I love it. It's encouraging to me. And then we say, I don't always love the part when it says that if I'm angry with someone, it's like murder, right? Like we have these parts where we say, I love the part when it talks about how we can build our lives on Jesus, but I don't love the part when it says, love your enemies, And instead of picking and choosing the parts that we like, we don't want to come into the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, I just want the parts that make me feel warm and fuzzy, or I just want the parts that are going to be difficult. I want to see the whole context and the whole concept of what Jesus said in the sermon that is about 12 minutes long, which is a small portion of how long my sermons usually are, but it's packed with so much. And it points us to God in so many ways. So here's what I want to do. Before we do um, anything else or go anywhere else, I'm going to ask all of you to pull out um, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. If you brought your own Bibles, awesome. If you um, brought, have the Bible app and you want to follow along, uh, I'm reading from the NIV, awesome. If you didn't bring either one of those things, I encourage you to go to page 1,505 in the Bibles that are provided in the seat racks underneath you. Because I want us to read the whole thing together so that we get an idea of the whole context and not pick and choose the parts that we like and ignore the parts that we don't. But to be able to say, this is what Jesus said when he saw, when he went up on the mountainside, when he saw the crowds, but he wanted to teach his disciples Here are the things that he said to them. And so 
I know that um, for part of us, for some of us, we're going to have sections of this that we know that we already like. We're going to have sections of this that, um, that we are, maybe we've memorized and we know really well. I know this is a little different for our church body, that we're going to read a large passage of Scripture to this degree of three, three chapters worth. But I want to also acknowledge it might be a little uncomfortable for some of us, but if there is a verse that as we're reading it, that it impacts you, that maybe it's a life verse that you've had, it's something that stood out to you, or something that is just that God is impressing upon you now, I would invite you to respond to God's word, whether it's with like, like an amen or a clap or I don't know, but something to just say, hey, as we're engaging, if Jesus were saying these words, how would we be responding when we hear them? Because there are some incredible things, hard things, good things, and everything in between that Jesus says as he calls us to discipleship with him. So if you're with us, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, as we reread that part and we read through Matthew 7. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, 
But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be as obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Took us 11 minutes to read all of Jesus' sermons, or all of his Sermon on the Mount, excuse me. And there's times reading, I'm like, oh, we don't preach about that part much, do we? Or, oh, this part's a little more difficult to say because we know the, 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 the struggles and the hurts of people in this room or watching us online. We know that there are difficulties. And yet it says here that here's this sermon that points us to what it looks like to follow Jesus, the kind of people we need to become, the kind of ways that we act and interact with those around us, the ways that we orient our lives the ways that we fix our eyes on Jesus and try to live in love like he does. And so in the few minutes that I have remaining, I, I wanted this again to be like a 30,000-foot view looking at the greatest sermon ever that Jesus preached in Matthew 5 through 7. So I'm just going to give a few observations, and then we'll close out our time together in preparation for diving in more deeply over the subsequent weeks. So the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever, points us in different directions that ultimately lead at the same destination. First, it points us Godward. It points us Godward by showing us Christ. He, he shows his heart. He, he embodies the beatitudes that we look, that we look at. He recognizes the importance of loving your enemy, and he doesn't just do it, but while he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's not someone who sat in a mansion and preached to the poor. He's someone that the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Foxes have dens and, and places to live, but the Son of Man does not. He wasn't doing or saying something, excuse me, he wasn't saying something that he wasn't willing to do himself. So praying for those who persecute, loving his enemies, going the extra mile, laying down his life for us. It shows us who Jesus is. And it's so vital for us to acknowledge who Jesus is while we look at the Sermon on the Mount because without that, it, it, it's hard to just pick and choose. Again, it's like trying to go see a movie and only picking the parts that we like rather than, in this case, us looking at who Jesus is and looking at all of his words and looking at how he lived out those words and how he calls us to do the same. So we look here, Oswald Chambers talks about this. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. It's not something that we just say, okay, I want to pick and choose this part and do that so that I can be a good person. That the way that we live out the Sermon on the Mount is by identifying with Christ first and foremost. It's the idea that the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. So when we are noticing that there are people who are persecuting us or that people that are our enemies and we wish anger on them, rather than praying for them. It's not the Sermon on the Mount is unattainable. It's not that the Sermon on the Mount is something that was back in the day, that was a nice idealistic thought from 2,000 years ago, but Jesus, you don't know what it's like nowadays. No, no, the Sermon on the Mount, if we are not adhering or living in that example, shows us that there is something that we are missing out, that 
one of the quotations that's not on there that um, we see is this idea that if we ever have an argument with the Sermon on the Mount, it's either something going on with us that we need to, that we're not navigating well, or it's that our interpretation of it is not accurate. Because Jesus' words are what we build our lives upon. That firm foundation that we listen to his words and we put them into practice. These are not nice things that we hang up on a wall but never live out in our lives. And that can only happen when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. And that can only happen when we have a relationship with Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount that talks about the kingdom of heaven shows us who our king is. Shows us what King Jesus is like. Not someone who lords things over his subjects, but someone who lays down his life for his friends. Someone who's willing to bear the penalty that was ours to pay. Someone who lives in such a way that calls us to follow his example, not just with words, but with our actions. And as 1 John 3.18 talks about, let us love one another, not just with the words from our tongues, from the actions of our lives. So the Sermon of the Mount points us Godward. It shows us who God is by showing us who Jesus Christ is and therefore calling us to follow his lead. It also leaves us inward, leads us, excuse me. It points us inward by looking at our character. It's showing us the type of people we ought to be when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. It's showing us that we're the type of people or we ought to be the type of people that when we are slapped on one cheek, we offer the other we don't fight back. We don't, we, we, we don't slap back. But we say, okay, I, I understand. And offer the other cheek. That's a really hard thing to actually embody. We're the type of people who don't worry about the stuff that we have. They don't worry about how much money's in our bank account. We don't worry. Yes, we want to take care of things, but we know that our Heavenly Father will provide for us. So where our worries are, often lead us to where our idols are. What we worry about most often points to what we put upon the throne instead of God. It shows us our character. Here's what we see here. What is of supreme importance, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, what is of supreme importance is that we must always remember that the Sermon on the Mount is a description of character and not a code of ethics or of morals. It is not to be regarded as law or a kind of new Ten Commandments or set of rules and regulations which are to be carried out by us, but rather as a description of what we Christians are meant to be, illustrated in certain particular respects. So this is the idea of saying, oh, so, you know, um, someone asked me to walk one mile with them, I better walk a second one because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's being the kind of people that say, I will willingly do that. It's recognizing that, oh, well, and I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. So, Lord, I'm going to follow the Psalms and pray that you would grind their teeth in dust. <laughs> or we, because that's what it says to but instead it's saying, how do we pray for people when we see people who are difficult, who are going through a hard time, and they're lashing out at us, and we might be in their crosshairs, but we may not be the reason why they are so angry or hurt. Lord, would you heal those people who are hurting us? Because hurt people hurt people. But would you heal them? And would you use us as conduits to come alongside them in that healing? So it's showing us the type of people we ought to be. And so when we feel tension, when we're reading the Sermon on the Mount in different areas, it's evaluating, do we have the kind of character? Has God shaped us to become and molded in the character 
of Christ's likeness? Or like, like me, do we listen to that? And do you listen to that and think, Lord, I've, I've got a lot of work to do. And Holy Spirit, you've got a lot of work to do in me. May I be willing to lay down my wants and needs so that I can be truly who you've called me to become. Sermon on the Mount points us Godward by showing us Christ. Shows us, he points us, or the Sermon on the Mount points us inward by showing us our character and where we need to grow. It also points us outward by navigating our circumstances. It says, in this world around us, how is it that we live as Christians? We don't hide the light of the gospel and the hope that we have because we're afraid. Because a city on a hill can't be hidden. We don't, we don't hide a lamp and put it under a bushel basket so there's still darkness in the house. No, no. We remove the light so that we could shine like stars in this crooked and depraved generation. So that we could be a light of the world that God has called us to be. We don't look around the world and retreat to say, oh, we can't have anything to do with the world. We say, God, you have put us in this world for such a time as this. And what does it look like to live in such a way that honors you while also pointing people to, to Jesus? What does it look like to live as disciples with the crowd listening and seeing the words of how Jesus tells, calls us to live and saying, are we doing that? Is the inward character there so that I'm growing, but then is the outward expression of that inward character showing other people the love of Christ? Are we navigating our circumstances, the situations around us, and are we evaluating everything through the lens of God's words? of who Jesus is, and building our life upon his foundation of who he is and his word? Are we evaluating all of that and saying, am I lining up with God, or am I lining up, or, or am I afraid to say anything, or am I afraid to stand out? Am I afraid to shine my light? Martin Lloyd-Jones continues when he talks about our circumstance. He says, what is inculcated, which is just the fancy word of the day, so you've learned your fancy word, now you're good. It was inculcated, what is in this statement is that I should be in such a spirit that under certain circumstances and conditions, I must do just that, the examples he gives. I must throw in the cloak or go the second mile. This is no mechanical rule to be applied, but I am such a person that if it is God's will and for his glory, I will do so readily. It's like celebrating our anniversary, and if I was like, hey, honey, here's a card because I have to, does that, does that show any love towards my wife? No. Right? It's like, this is not a mechanical thing that you just do because this is what I'm supposed to. It's saying, I want to have the inward character through the power of the Holy Spirit making me so much like Jesus that when circumstances arise, I know that I can live out the way that Jesus has called us to live. I want to be the kind of person that prays for people who harm me. I want to be the kind of person that is able to walk the extra mile. I want to be the kind of person that gives without knowing what one hand is doing. I want to be the kind of person that doesn't worry. I want to be the kind of person who has good fruit. I want to be the kind of person that doesn't judge other people without looking at my own plank in my own eye before trying to remove the speck of someone else. I want to be the kind of person who recognizes what it means to be a peacemaker and not just a peacekeeper. I want to be the kind of person who recognizes what it means to be me, because that's not weak. It's strength restrained in order to show love. I want to be able to be the kind of person that lives like Jesus lives and loves like he loves. I want to be the kind of person that in my circumstances, come what may, I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding the power of the gospel. I'm not hiding what God has done in my life. 
I'm willing to shine like stars, knowing that sometimes when you shine, people want to snuff you out. But friends, we're not called to hide. We're called to love people while speaking truth. We're called to be like Jesus to those around us. We're called to have Christ-likeness in our character inwardly and to express it in our circumstances outwardly. Number four, the Sermon on the Mount points us, let's go to the next slide, please, points us forward by considering our commitment. In the very beginning, it talks about how, again, Jesus has already called his disciples in Matthew 4, and then there's a crowd that he's ministering to in the last part of chapter 4. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he goes on to that mountainside. And, and some of the commentators, even in that picture, they're like, it's less of a mountain. It's more like a mound. But the idea is he goes up there and he takes a position of teaching in the Hebrew culture where he sits down and he teaches them. And he's sharing what, he's, what, what we've read just now. But This is both for those who are disciples to acknowledge, okay, this is the commitment of what it means to follow him. It's not comfy, it's commitment. God doesn't call us to be able to take up our pillows and comforter to follow him. He says, take up my cross and follow him and I will be your comforter. It's recognizing that what does our commitment look like? And then it's spoken in the hearing of the crowds so that they would listen and say, is this something that I want to do? Would I be willing to move forward with committing my life to Jesus? Because here's what it says. While, let's go to the next slide. While the ethics taught in the sermon apply specifically to those already following Jesus, the crowds, quote, learn what genuine discipleship involves as they consider the possibility of commitment to Jesus. And that's Jason Quo quoting um, Craig Blomberg. It's saying, are we living in such a way that people far from God would say, I want to follow who you're following? I remember I had a pastor friend who was uh, on, a missionary tr- or on a missions trip and I was talking to someone about Jesus. And the guy, I think I've shared this before, but the guy from the other country just said, let me come live with you for 30 days. See how you live. And then I will decide about your Jesus. It's like when Gandhi says, I, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. It's like when Brennan Manning says that the single greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but go out and deny them by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. See, because the Sermon on the Mount, as we go to the next slide, the Sermon on the Mount was spoken to the disciples and overheard by the crowd, which means people are watching us to see how we live and how we love. People are watching us to see how we live and how we love. If we don't agree with someone and we only spew anger and venom and vitriol to them, does that show anyone the love of Christ? But if there's something where we recognize that we stand up for truth in love, that's the way that we walk that line. And we base our definition of truth on what God's word says. So this means that people are watching to see how we love and how we live. I don't know if, um, how many of you have the Bible app? Um, I know I mentioned that a little bit earlier on your phone. How many of you do the daily refresh? Is that something that any of you do? It's like on the opening page where there's like a verse there and then there's like a two-minute devotional and then there's like a four-minute, um, like, like, a, uh, like a quiet, like meditative part. Um, it's just a really great way to be able to start the day. And this morning, 
there was one where uh, it was a quotation about the Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, oh, how, how perfectly timely. And so this is what it says. This is what Dorian Ezard said. She said, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching and revealing two critical things about what it looks like to follow him. He teaches us that we must love how Jesus loves and live how Jesus lives. When we do both of these things well, we are embracing the value of the kingdom of heaven and choosing to live a life that pleases God. It's saying if we are love like Jesus loves and live like he lives, people will look at the way we live and they say, they'll think, okay, that's a commitment I want to make. That's the kind of life I want to have. I want to know what it's like to have peace in the midst of worry. I want to know what it's like to be able to know that those storms come, there's someone with me in the storm. I want to know what it's like to have hope when the world is hopeless. I want to know what it's like to know that Jesus is the anchor and the hope for, for our souls. Because when I look around, the circumstances may draw me away from the Lord, but the Sermon on the Mount points me towards him. And it shows me the importance of recognizing that people watch how you and I live. When I'm on an airplane and people, you know, you have like that 10 minutes of are you going to talk to me or are we just going to listen to like headphones next to each other? And um, I'm always like writing, like, okay, I'm going to give 10 minutes to have a conversation. I'm going to try this. And inevitably, like eight minutes and 27 seconds into it, they just put their headphones in. I'm like, I'm not that boring, but it's okay. So it's just this idea of are we available, right? But when I share I'm a pastor, you immediately see a, sh a tone shift. It's either... Oh, you're your pastor. Like, I, you know, I go to a church here, or, or that's great. Oh, what a, God bless you. Or it's, oh. <laughs> and then just plug, because it's, because it's divisive. It's Jesus, God loves everyone, but Jesus says in his own words that he came and it's going to divide people. But we want to be people who are living so well and loving so well based on speaking the truth and love of what God's word says, that when we are doing that, We'll recognize that as the Beatitudes say, even if we are persecuted for his sake, there's a blessing and a reward. We may not see it this side of heaven, but we recognize that it's there. Lastly, we look how he shows us, points us Godward. The Sermon on the Mount points us inward. It shows us outward, points us forward. But lastly, it points us onward by revealing our calling. It's not just forward in the sense of, will I commit? It's saying, now that I've committed, what does it look like to live the way that Jesus lived? And what does it look like to receive the calling to live a life worthy of the manner of the, that we've received? Ephesians 4 talks about the calling that we have is to be light. It is to be salt. It is to go into all the nations and to baptize them and teach them everything that I, Jesus has commanded us. And to be able to make disciples. It is to go out and not to hide in. And so here's the closing, closing quotation from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, Here is the life which we are called. And I maintain again that if only every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we are praying and longing would already have started. Amazing and astounding things would happen. The world would be shocked, and men and women would be drawn and attracted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I read that, uh, I was reading that quotation at the dinner table last night, and one of the girls was like, well, what about children? I'm like, yes, children too, so it's okay. But it's recognizing that when we live the life that God's called us to live, it will point other people to Jesus. And we are living in a more post-Christian world, um, a post-Christian culture um, than ever before. 
which means that our calling to be lights is greater than ever before. Our calling to be the kind of people who love how Jesus loves and live how Jesus lives, to speak truth based on God's word, but to do so in love, to be able to shine like stars, to be able to be light and to be salt. Friends, this is our calling and I'm speaking now to those of us who've given our lives to Jesus. If you're, on the, if you're what this would describe as the crowd, someone overhearing and listening, we're welcoming you into a little bit of insider challenging conversation here. And I'm not expecting the same barometer from you as I would from, our disciples, from disciples of Jesus. But for those of us who know and love Jesus, this is what the standard to which we are called. This is an 11 and a half, 12 minute sermon that leaves none of us feeling comfortable, but all of us feeling called to love like Jesus loves, and to live how Jesus lives. So as we take the next several weeks to unpack these passages more in depth, we're going to look at it through this lens of how God is calling us, what that looks like, and more importantly, how that impacts how we live. And so friends, if you're here, I'm going to ask, maybe you want to join the, small, the, 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 um, the study on the Bible app. Maybe for you, the important thing is for you to read the Sermon on the Mount once a week. Every week for the next eight weeks, you just read, um, you know, split up Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over half of the chapters each day and give yourself a little wiggle room if you miss a day. But read the Sermon on the Mount every week. Some of you that are more audacious, read it every day. As we saw, it only takes 11 minutes. But let this passage come and let the Holy Spirit have his work in us so that hopefully and prayerfully we will be people that will be living our calling out so well that others will want to find out more about Christ and that they too will be pointing Godward, inward, outward, forward, and onward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. And Lord, as we took um, some time to, to read um, your sermon, Jesus. It's the, the greatest sermon ever. It's, it's one that impacts us. It's one that even now, thousands of years later, has the power to change our lives. And as we were reading and people saying amen and responding, Holy Spirit, we know that you are still working through the power of the word. I pray, Lord, that we would be people that would build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus and build our lives on the foundation of his works and his word. And in so doing, we'd be able to withstand storms. We'd be able to withstand difficulties. We'd be able to be the kind of people that love how you love, Jesus, and live how you live. And that we could bring other people into a right relationship with you by our example, by our words, by our lives. So, Jesus, we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.